from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Made it to 5 o'clock on a Friday. That is always a good thing, isn't it? Uh, if you are out and about, I imagine this is a very busy time, particularly around the shopping centers and shopping malls. And I know a lot of people are doing their holiday shopping online these days. But I think it's still pretty congested out there. A little bit of driving around I've done. Uh, there seem to be more cars out there on the roads and the highways and the byways. So uh, be careful out there. Be patient and keep us on your radio at 1061 ESPN. Bob with you here. Bob Black here hosting remotely on a Friday afternoon. Lewis is in our ESPN Richmond studio. Sweet Lou, 804-327-0888. First hour, spent some time. In the opening segment, talking about uh, what you just heard on SportsCenter about uh, the firing of, of, of Coach Staley there with with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, also their general manager. And we talked a little bit about, you know, where might Bill Belichick wind up if he's done, which we think he is, in New England. Could it be with the Chargers? Could it be with the Commanders? if and when they make a move could it be with carolina which is already open so i was just kind of surfing around online and came across um uh, bill barnwell's column on espn.com again subjectively you know what are the best and worst head coach openings for 2024 and this is even more subjective, and I almost hesitate to do this because most of these teams don't have openings right now. Now, there's a likelihood that they will moving forward, and it's almost the Belichick sweepstakes if you want it to be. You know, If he wants to keep coaching, which one would he choose to go to, and would you take him? I, I think the commanders would certainly take him. I think a guy with his resume and his background and his ability, you know, you would take him, right? So this is real. I'm going to do this real quick. I don't want to get too deep into this, um, but he lists uh, Carolina as ten, uh, and again they have the opening, but they've just been, you know, so bad. Uh, a top draft pick isn't going to matter in a year. They're one and twelve, so they have the league's worst record for sure, and they probably won't even have their number one pick, right? They 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 are uh, likely to send that pick to the Bears. Um, that was part of the Bryce Young um, deal to start with. Anyway, so Carolina would be ten on his list. The Raiders would be nine if and when that one comes open. Uh, the New Orleans Saints would be the eighth most attractive coaching position again if and when that one uh, comes open. Seven would be the Commanders, a little lower than I thought. I would have thought they might be a little bit higher, but the number one con, and he lists pros and cons, and new ownership is a top pro for the Commanders, which you knew it would be. As long as it's not Daniel Snyder, it's going to be better. But his top con is the subpar facilities, and that is something I've been harping on for a long time with Washington. I think that's going to deter someone like a Bill Belichick who probably won't still be coaching by the time they get a new facility, right? If he is, it's going to be very much in the twilight of his career because they're three years away minimum 
from a new facility in Washington, right? If they put the shovel in the dirt tomorrow, they could be three years down the road from from getting it complete and getting into it. And by facility, I am I am grouping together both the stadium and the practice facility and the offices. And it needs to be shiny and bright and new because that's how you're going to bring top players in and that's how you're going to bring top coaches in. I've said this over and over again. They are never going to be any better than 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and eight, uh, seven and nine, that kind of thing. They're not going to get to 10, 11 wins, except once in a great while um, will they do that consistently until they're in a facility that meets the standards and exceeds the standards of the National Football League. So uh, for that reason, I'm not sure Belichick or any of the other high-profile coaches or players, for that matter, may be all that interested in going to Washington with the commanders. So I, I I think seven is probably a little bit low. I think there are some positives to that, beginning with ownership. Certainly, um, you know, that I, I think the commander's job could be a little bit better than that. And if you can, resurrected, it, it's in a city, it's in D.C., that you know they will – they will fill the seats with Burgundy and Gold fans once once the winning starts. But I think they're a ways away from it. Six would be Tampa Bay uh, if and when that one comes about. Five, New England. So, obviously, the thought process there is that Bill Belichick is eight. Um, and the one thing, and I heard Matt harping on this as well, uh, their roster really needs an overhaul. They're, they have aged very quickly there and again the other problem in new england and i don't know if you believe in this or not i kind of do you don't want to be the guy to follow the guy now the guy hasn't been that great the last couple years because the other guy tom brady hasn't been around but i'm still not sure you want to follow bill belichick in new england now he's left the door open for you a little bit because the last couple years haven't been great when you've had to follow a coach who is hall of fame and legendary and was still winning at a pretty high level and just eased his way out of it, that's a little bit harder. But I still think there is something to that. Uh, The Jets would be number four. I think that's a really good job, actually. I think the Jets could be really good if they get Aaron Rodgers back for one more go-around next year. He might get on the field at the end of this season. And, again, Robert Sala is still their head coach. And, you know, while maybe they move on from him, they may not. And, and you know, they've got a chance to win a few more games this year if their defense continues to play well. And, you know, every once in a while, Zach Wilson gives you a good game. Uh, three is Atlanta. I would say that's a little bit high on my list. Uh, I'm not sure I would, I would put Atlanta up there. And let's finish this out. Two is the Chargers. And we talked about that in the first hour, that that's a pretty – Pretty um, attractive position uh, in L.A. You get Justin Herbert. He'll certainly be back. You've got, you know, uh, several other really good players, and they're not that old just yet. And I think if you can build around a franchise quarterback and you've got some money to spend, which I think the Chargers do, I think that's a pretty good gig. And interestingly, the number one um, attractive coaching job, should it come open, is the Chicago Bears. And I I think there are a lot of people in the NFL who would like to see the Bears be good again. Like, I I feel like that is one of those franchises, and the Commanders would be another one, that the NFL is better when certain teams in certain cities are good. And it's not always the major market 
cities. It doesn't have to always be about eyeballs and television ratings. Like the Chargers and the Rams don't always have to be good for the NFL to be good, even though they're in the number one, number two media market in L.A. I don't necessarily think the Jets and the Giants have to be good for the NFL to really be flourishing. But you do need some sort of balance and some sort of mix. But I do think D.C. is one of those spots that the NFL, they would like Washington to be good again. And I think the same holds true in Chicago. Uh, I think they would like the Bears to be good again. And who knows, maybe Matt Eberflus is there and he's not going to be fired. But I can see where Chicago uh, could be a pretty pretty good job. They'll have to figure out what to do with Justin Fields at quarterback. There are going to be some good ones coming out. I mean, Caleb Williams, uh, Drake May is going to be available. So there there are some good quarterbacks there. But I, I would kind of agree. I would think Chicago is one of those um, very attractive spots that you would want to go to. And I would think the NFL would like for Chicago and Washington to be two of those teams that become relevant again. Um and either the Jets or the Giants. Kind of interesting the Giants weren't on this list at all. So I guess Brian Dable's okay there uh, in New York. But if you get the Jets to be good again, that's another that's another pretty good one if you could get them to be good. And that's that's a pretty attractive spot if indeed that one came open. I, I would certainly believe. And I do agree with this list at the bottom of it. I think Carolina is the biggest work in progress of the whole bunch. And I'll bet that one goes to more of a young and up-and-coming coach who's going to take a shot, who wants that first coaching job and is going to take a shot at it. So that's kind of interesting, kind of interesting look. We're getting to that point of the year where that's starting to become part of the conversation, right? We've got four weeks to go, and you've got teams that are not doing well, and the rumor mill is going to be out there. Obviously, the Patriots, we talked about them. I'm scrolling through the the, the teams now and kind of the records of other teams that we haven't really talked too much about. Obviously, the Chargers are making a move. Who knows what the Raiders might do? We talked about the Commanders. I think they're the only ones in the NFC East that would do anything, perhaps the Bears as well. I, I think Minnesota and Green Bay are probably okay, even though there's mediocre seasons going on there. We talked about Carolina and New Orleans. Um, don't think – I don't know what Arizona would do. That that would. And what's Pete Carroll going to do? How much longer is Pete Carroll, you think, going to go in Seattle? They're, they're on the fringe this year at 6-7. and seven. Uh, that could be one to kind of keep an eye on. He, he still looks energized, but they're kind of muddling along. I shouldn't say that too loudly with them playing my Eagles on Monday night, on the Monday night game, but that would be another one to kind of look at. All right, that's one list down. I got the other one, the college bowl list I still want to get to, which we will do probably in the next segment, which will lead in to our 5.30 conversation. Let's tell you all about that as we move along in the 5 o'clock hour of the Sports Huddle. These are this afternoon's top sports stories. I'm sure you'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell. This is today's Drive Home Headlines. Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not happy with your heating and cooling system, give James River Air a call or check them out online at jamesriverair.com and get yourself set for a free in-home consultation and i uh, actually saw a james river air van in my neighborhood today their trucks look very good also by the way i just happened to notice it as i went by i don't know if they've redone their vans and their trucks or not but they they look really good i had one in our neighborhood and i'm sure my neighbor was very happy with james river's uh, service with them 
uh, today. All right, uh, top stories today. Again, the Chargers make moves. Staley's out. Uh, Telesco, the general manager, he is out as well. I hadn't mentioned this earlier. Baseball, the Dodgers just keep getting you know more and more players. Uh, they got Tyler Glasgow from from Tampa Bay. Obviously, Otani made his debut in that Dodger seventeen uniform yesterday, and he's he's ready to get going. So that's another of the top stories today. Um, I think there was something else in addition to the bowl games and college um, basketball that's back on track tomorrow with a lot of, of really good games coming up tomorrow. We talked about that in the first hour as well. There was one other story that's slipping my mind at the moment that I don't remember. I'll, I'll think about it and, and get to it um, as we move along here in the um, – in the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Bob Chesney is going to join us, the new head football coach of the James Madison Dukes. Our first conversation to speak with him is coming up here at um, at the bottom of the hour. All right, let's get our break in here right at, right at quarter after 5, come back on the other side, do a little more bowl game talk and a couple other uh, topics of conversation for you as well. Oh, I know what the other story was. Uh, this is a little bit more on the local side, and it's not only sports-related, but it's kind of marketing and sponsorship-related. There was the news today that the um, Dominion Energy Classic is going to go away after the next couple of years. They're going to, ha- with that name, uh, that was the wrong way to put that. The Dominion Energy Charity Classic will have a new title sponsor and a new location after 2025. Uh, Country Club of Virginia is going to give up hosting that event, which has, by all accounts, done really well and has been one of the more popular events on the PGA Champions Tour. Uh, so they'll be at Country Club of Virginia next year in 2024 and again in 2025. But after that, it's moving somewhere to another one of the great golf courses in our area, and it will have a new title sponsor as Dominion Energy is also going to back out at the same time. So some changes afoot there for the PGA Tour Champions event. Um, at the Dominion Energy Charity Classic is what we've known it as, and it has been a country club of Virginia. And, look, these things happen. Certainly with the sponsors, these things happen. I mean, you put a lot of resources into that as a business, as a sponsor, a lot of money. I would Six figures, I'm sure. Has, has been invested by Dominion Energy into that event. And, again, uh, CCV takes away from its members being out on the course for probably more than a week, right? they got to get the course set up, and the tournament is basically a week. So um, they've had a good run with it. I've been out there several times. We've broadcasted from out there. Uh, it's been a really good event, and somebody will pick it up. Uh, but they're in a little bit of transition there. The next two years, it's going to remain Dominion Energy Charity Classic at CCV, and then after that, it will find a new home, I'm sure sure we will keep that event in the capital city just at a new course and with a new title sponsor that was the other story i was going to get to i feel better about that now uh 516 on the sports title we'll come back on the other side 1061 espn the nfl season is in full swing and we don't want anyone to forget we have nfl coverage every sunday afternoon as well as every dallas cowboys broadcast here on your home for sports in the river city 1061 espn richmond here's an unexpected hop i am sure our good friends at uptown alley will have a plethora of bowl games on their television screens uh, throughout the bowl season that begins this weekend. Um, again, I looked at this top, this list of Yahoo Sports ranked all 41 
of the bowl games. Again, very opinionated, very subjective. And I kind of scrolled through it for our four teams, Commonwealth of Virginia teams, that are in there. But as you can imagine, the Rose Bowl was number one, Michigan, Alabama, and the Sugar Bowl was number two, Washington and Texas. Of the other games, they went uh, Orange Bowl three, Florida State, Georgia. And I think there's a lot of intrigue in that game. First of all, that's a great matchup. Like, that could be a playoff game, right? Like, next year when we have 12 teams in this thing, that could be a legit playoff game. Florida State and Georgia. Now, we'll see how Florida State handles themselves in that game. Obviously, with the the heartburn of not being in the college football playoff, and I know there were some runways to even play this game. They'll play that game. Uh, And once it gets started, uh, I hope that's a really good one because, you know, I like the bowl games, and I want the Orange Bowl to be a big deal. It always has been. Um, that's one of the New Year's, six, New Year's Six games, obviously. So, anyway, that was the third-ranked game. Ohio State-Missouri in the Cotton Bowl was number four. Penn State-Ole Miss, I like that one, in the Peach Bowl. Always like the Peach Bowl. Uh, the Alamo Bowl was their number six. And you can tell who's missing out of this list. Not getting any respect right now. Anyway, the Alamo Bowl which is December 28th, is Oklahoma and Arizona. Certainly a good game. And with the switch of conferences here, it becomes even more intriguing. Iowa and Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl at number seven on the list, the top 41 list of bowl games. And then our first state team is Liberty in the New Year's Six game on January 1 in the Fiesta Bowl against Oregon. Uh, Liberty at number 23. I'd bump that up a little bit because I'm interested to see how Liberty does in that game and put it ahead of a couple of those others that are not New Year's Six games. But what the heck? A little bit surprising. Number nine, the Yahoo Sports Poll has West Virginia and North Carolina. Not a bad game down there in Charlotte in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. And then just rounding out the top ten, Sun Bowl, which, again, is another one of my favorites. I always love watching that one when the sun is shining brightly and yet there's snow all over the place, for sure. Notre Dame and Oregon State in in the Sun Bowl is, is number ten. And I don't know how this guy picked these. He may be a, a better, for all I know, and he's picking these things by, you know, the best bets out there more more than anything well i i really don't know um james madison got a lot of credit in this thing the 12th ranked bowl game is that armed forces bowl against air force uh, to see how jmu as a group of five team that wasn't even supposed to be in this thing and got in because there weren't enough six win teams to get in it as the number 12 rated bowl i would have thought the virginia tech tulane game would have been a little bit higher and, again, that's probably just because I've got a little bit of interest in it being a state team. It's all the way down to 32. Now, some of that may have to do with the fact that, you know, the Hokies barely squeezed in by beating Virginia for their sixth win of the year and getting into a bowl game. And Tulane has had a coaching change, and they're very much like JMU. They should have matched Tulane and JMU. That would have been great. The two teams with coaches who've left, transition, not full coaching staffs, players in the transfer portal, I would have played Tulane and James Madison. But anyway, Tulane and Virginia Tech didn't get a whole lot of love at number 32. And as you might expect, Old Dominion was way down there at 36. Not the least favorite of the bunch, at least, in the famous Toastery Bowl coming up on Monday, December 18th. The Quick Lane Bowl has the uh, dubious distinction of being the 41st and last ranked in terms of interest in the bowl games. Minnesota and bowling green in the quick lane bowl 
All right, there you go. Quick rundown of the bowls and where some of them uh, rank in terms of interest, competition, all of that. Headlined by the Rose and the Sugar uh, bowls between, the obviously, the college football playoff, Michigan, Alabama, and then Washington and Texas. All right, I mentioned James Madison getting ready for the Armed Forces Bowl against Air Force. I think the Dukes are early favorites, if I'm not mistaken, in that game a week from tomorrow. Um, the new head coach of the James Madison Dukes is Bob Chesney. He has been in Harrisonburg about a week now. He has been part of their bowl preparation, but he hasn't been totally hands-on. He's starting to put the program together for future years. Uh, his staff, the transfer portal, all of that kind of stuff, and kind of getting familiar with his surroundings at James Madison. He brings a wealth of experience and success, and he's gone right up the coaching tree from Division Three to Division Two to Division One FCS with um, Holy Cross and now at FBS James Madison. We've got our first opportunity to talk with Coach Chesney. He's going to join us after the break, and we'll get into all of those topics about how he's putting his staff together, the program, how much he really is helping out um, with the current team, the interim coach, all of that as they get ready for a bowl game. And, yeah, another thing I am going to ask him about um, is being hired by an athletic director who's not going to be there, right, Jeff Bourne. By all accounts, did a great job in the hiring process, vetting the candidates, uh, picking Bob Chesney, all of that. But uh, Jeff Bourne is not going to be Bob Chesney's uh, boss. He's retiring. And, and whether that you know had any impact on the whole negotiation for Coach Chesney. So some interesting topics we've got with him. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the break. Bottom of the hour, Bob Chesney, new head football coach at James Madison. He's with us next on the Sports Huddle. Let's get social. Follow us on X and Instagram at ESPN Richmond. And find us on Facebook by searching ESPN Richmond. Don't miss a thing from your home for sports in Richmond. 1061 ESPN. Just head to our website and to our This Week on 1061 ESPN Richmond page for a preview of what's to come on 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. Bob Black back with you. Sports Huddle continues this afternoon, 1061 ESPN here in Richmond. And we welcome to the capital city via our airwaves for the first time, the new head football coach of the James Madison Dukes, Bob Chesney, a very busy man right now. So I appreciate you, Bob, spending some time with us uh, today. How are things going for you as you try to get yourself settled there at JMU? Oh man! As you can imagine, it's a it's a whirlwind over here. So we're you know we got a lot going on. There's a just a ton, and in such an unprecedented time in college football, but unprecedented time in JMU history. Sitting here looking at the first ever bowl game, I couldn't be more proud to be connected with this team at this exact moment, and I'm excited to get going. So, Bob, a lot of us this time of year probably have holiday Christmas checklists that they're trying to cross items off of. I imagine you have a coaching checklist right now that you're trying to cross items off of. Can you prioritize it a little bit for us and how you've kind of gone through that list of objectives and things that obviously you need to get done to start putting your program together? You know, it's funny. I don't don't know if you could fully straight up prioritize it, but you have to – categorize it right so i have a little purple folder here and i have all the you know rosters to portal to coaches to you know community members to all these things that you know and then forget about you know then add in my own family not to forget about my own family in there as well 
and you, you, I come in the office, I take all the papers out, I lay them on my desk, and the whole thing's covered in different stacks and different things I got to try to do. I do that all day long, and then I put it away and go home at night and do it again. But ultimately, <laughs> the number one, number one most important objective for me on, is, is learning this team, getting to personally engage and meet and understand these players, and just really get a, a, a personal feel for who uh, makes up this team, what is their... What are their goals? What are their aspirations? You know, what are their passions? Those are the things that I am most, you know, excited about. And probably if I had to prioritize anything, that would certainly be number one. How advantageous is it then that you're able to be out at practice with them as they prepare for this bowl game next Saturday? And I know you have said, you know, you won't be totally hands-on with the process of prepping for Air Force, but it will give you an opportunity to see how things are done and, and who's doing them, right? Yeah, invaluable, invaluable that I have this opportunity to do it. Uh, first, let's just start on, on my own personal side. Like, I'm a football coach, right? So being on the football field is why I am in this profession. And that my season was over and have a chance to be back out on the football field watching football and evaluating football, it's Christmas came early, right? So that's, that's awesome for me. But then also, um, you know, being around them and seeing them compete and, and watching techniques and watching their skill sets and seeing their leadership qualities and seeing who has good days and bad days, that's all, that's all just so important for me eventually to be able to take over this program. Typically, you come in, everybody's home from break, you say hi to them really quick, or everybody's on break, or you, you catch them right before they leave for break, and then you come back, and now you're a go. But you don't really know who they are as far as football and on the field is concerned. And here, a lot of those questions are able to get answered. Um, what are the answers that you're finding in terms of how these guys have handled so much that has been thrown at them? You mentioned the tumultuous times that we're in anyway. They went through yeah. the whole bowl game litigation process. Now a yeah. coaching change. And now, yeah. what, maybe four full-time coaches remaining to help them prep for the first ever bowl game at JMU. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. You, you, you said them all, right? I'm, I just watch these coaches that are here, and, and they are – just doing an unbelievable job. They're welcoming to me. They are. It's awkward, and it could be awkward. And we all decided let's let's not let it get too awkward, right? Let's just make sure that we all understand that you know the objective of this is to get to this bowl game and win this bowl game. That's the objective. So you know, I think if everybody keeps that at the nucleus of everything we're doing, we're going to be just fine. And I really, really like working with these guys. Bob, what will your timeline and process be beyond the bowl game where you do have to make some significant decisions? A signing day is coming up. You need a coaching staff. You need to figure out which guys are coming back to JMU and who you might be bringing in from other programs. You referenced that transfer portal a little earlier. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Adam, I'm sure you're aware of a Coach Robo brought in uh, a few of his friends that have worked in the triple option offense and uh, they've been working as, you know, a group of coaches here to help him, you know, prepare the team on offense and defense. And it's been really neat watching those guys. Um, I have personally brought in a couple of guys that have helped us with recruiting in the past. So we have two different kind of operations going on here. And today we are expected to have between eight and 12 guys uh, joining us today to just kind of, toward the campus, check things out and, and find their place, you know, guys from the portal, other high school guys, just preparing for the what might happen after the bowl game if guys decide to leave. So, you know, we can't wait on that. That has to be those 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 um that's work that's currently 
in action uh, just because it has to be that way. So we're moving, and we're moving pretty quickly. Hey, I was really intrigued. I guess you mentioned this at your press conference, one of the articles I, I was reading since that time. You talked about being at an FCS program and a really good one at Holy Cross and how you tried to run that one, not like an FCS program, but like an FBS or even NFL professional program. How does that translate to what you're trying to do in Harrisonburg? I think very well. So for me, we never sat back and said, we're just FCS. Let's, let's just do FCS things, right? I spent a lot of time with Coach Belichick. I had a, you know, opportunity to spend time with Coach Harbaugh. And then one of my uh, friends is the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs, where we had a chance to go out there and spend time with him. And then we visited numerous college programs as well. And for me, it was important to dive into you know, the science that goes beyond, goes into this, the recruiting that goes into this, how they build, you know, uh, and have the collectives for NIL and just all the things that come along with a modern day football program are things that I was studying long before this opportunity even showed up because I was trying to advance and take our team to that level. So now we, there were certain restrictions academically. We did not have grad school. Transfers were sort of hard to come by, but I was preparing for that every step of the way. So um, I think as I show up here, I'm sort of, um, you know, flying, I don't want to say solo because there's a, a great amount of support here with all the coaches on for football, but the recruiting side and the building of staff and everything else were all things that I've, I've been preparing for for quite some time. Catching up with Bob Chesney, new head football coach at James Madison. You mentioned uh, that purple folder that you're using. Is that the same purple folder you used when you got to Holy Cross? Because the colors are obviously the same between JMU and Holy Cross. <laughs> uh, but one of the biggest differences, Bob, you mentioned all the stuff of modern-day college athletics. When you took over at Holy Cross, that was a program that had back-to-back losing seasons, if I'm correct in that. This is a JMU program that hasn't had a losing season in two decades. How different? Yeah. Is that as you take over JMU's program? Yeah, so Holy Cross hadn't had a winning, uh, hadn't won a championship in 20 years before I arrived, and then we just concluded our fifth in a row. Uh, so that is a total rebuild, you know. And by the time you get to year three or four, you can finally think, start to see things speed up, right? Because you had to do so much, you know, building of a foundation because it just didn't exist there prior. So that takes time, right? Here. The foundation is built. I said it in the press conference, and it's just the, the facts. Like, I'm not here to tear down and rebuild a program. They don't need that, right? We are, we are winning here at a very high rate of speed. So what I need to do is just be able to identify some things we could do a little better, hold on to the things that have allowed us to be successful, and then just throw a little more gas on the fire and watch this thing go. Last couple for you, Bob. Uh, you were hired by Athletic Director Jeff Bourne. You will not work for Athletic Director Jeff Bourne, who by all accounts ran a great search and has the program running as smoothly as you possibly could in, in this day and age. I don't want to say that did that cause you any concern because obviously you took the job. It didn't concern you that much. But was there any pause in your mind about, you know, who will I be working for after Jeff Bourne hires me? Yeah, so I, I did talk to our Athletic Director at Holy Cross quite a bit about this. And, um, I was, you know, there is, there certainly is some concern that comes with that because you just don't know. And alignment is probably the number one key to success in any organization in the world, right? So are you going to be aligned with that new athletic director? And I think, not think I know that Jeff is going to be involved in that process. And I trust him, you know, quite a bit. He's done an excellent job in, you know, 
delivering on everything that we have spoken about. So I feel decent about that. Here's the, the, the key to the whole thing is, as I was talking to our athletic director about it, that was my third athletic director when I was at Holy Cross, <laughs> and we had two presidents come through there while I was at Holy Cross. So that type of change and being able to build a bridge very, very quickly and being able to build trust and understanding is something that I have three different opportunities of experience in and along with even presidents. So I feel good about my ability to, to, to manage that. Hey, speaking, speaking of the experience level, it almost seems like this is the perfect blueprint, and I wonder mm. if this is what you set out to do, to go from D3 to D2 to FCS to FBS, if that was kind of part of your mindset, whoa, those many years ago. You know, there was a moment in time when I was at Johns Hopkins University, and there was a job that opened up at, at Penn, and I thought, you know, I could go and be the linebacker's coach there, and it didn't end up working out. And I remember at that point saying, if – I want to move up in this profession at all. I'm going to have to do it on my own. I'm not going to rely on connections and other people. I'm going to rely on results. So that was a decision I made, you know, quite some time ago. But I will say that from, you know, uh, Assumption to Holy Cross, I did not go looking for any of these opportunities. They just sort of showed up or, or approached me about it. And that is when, you know, it, the, you start to connect some dots and say, is this the opportunity? Is this the right one? And there were many in there that um, I had opportunities for, but none that were as perfect a fit as I believe Jam you to be. All right, last one for you for this conversation. We hope it's the first of many with Coach Chesney. Let's fast forward a little bit here, Bob, to late August, early September, and, and speak to all of the uh, JMU fans that I'm sure are listening to our program this afternoon. Uh, what is JMU's football team going to look like on the field um, when you're on the sideline for that first game? Yeah, well, I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to continue to see a ton of excitement and passion right that if there's anything that our teams have done in the past we have played inspired football for and with each other right that is what the what every one of our teams has done not only that we're going to play for the full 60 minutes whether we're ahead or we're down there's not going to be a moment where we're going to relax we're going to apply pressure on offense defense and special teams and we're going to make sure that we're playing a physical brand physical inspired passionate brand of football that's what you'll see on the field we look forward to all of that and future conversations with you as well bob go back to it good luck with the bowl game uh, next saturday against air force and we look forward to catching up with you down the road all right thanks so much bob i appreciate the coverage and go dukes uh, there you go. And go Dukes, as virtually every JMU coach has said at the end of their conversation. Uh, I think we're going to like him, right? I think we're going to get more opportunity and more access with Bob Chesney as we move along, just as we did with Kurt Signetti. I, I like talking with Coach Signetti, but these are two different style of guys, and I think you can hear the media savviness um, and, and a little bit of enjoying having conversations like that, talking football, talking JMU football, uh, talking Holy Cross football, that sort of thing with with Coach Chesney. So we look forward to some more conversations with him, and now he gets ready for the bowl game and then moving the JMU program forward with kind of his fingerprint beginning with uh, beginning with next season. I found it very interesting, by the way, um, you know, when he answered the question about not having Jeff Bourne there as his athletic director, that, yeah, there was, you know, some concern 
about that, and he talked with his athletic director at Holy Cross, and they'd had some changeover there. So he's at least experienced in what's going to happen, and he will probably have some sort of involvement. Not probably. He will have some sort of involvement in who the next athletic director is. He's not going to pick the new athletic director, but will certainly have um, some involvement and the ability to voice some opinion as they go through that process of their new AD at at James Madison. All right, thanks to Bob Chesney, our first visit with him, first of what we uh, hope will be many during the course of the college football season. All right, one more segment to go. Got do have some breaking news on the college front. Um, I think it's good news for players, and I don't think it's of any surprise to anyone And when we deal with the NCAA. We'll tell you that in our last segment of the Sports Huddle today, 1061 ESPN. The NFL season is in full swing, and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon, as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast. Here on your home for sports in the River City, 1061 ESPN Richmond. Traffic reports on 106. The Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. All right, I haven't seen this officially from any of the news services or ESPN or anything along those lines, but it's on Twitter, um, so I guess you believe it. And it was reposted, as we now say, retweeted by Jeff Goodman, who does a great job covering college basketball. Um, It actually came off a tweet from the Attorney General in Ohio, David Yost, but like I said, it got retweeted, and and it's out there. And this is like a half hour ago. Breaking, the NCAA has agreed to terms that have been jointly submitted to the federal court for approval to include no retaliation against players who play during the temporary restraining order, which is a good thing. The TRO is converted to a preliminary injunction to last till the end of spring sports. And I think that's probably a good thing as well, that we can't have one set of rules for two weeks and then um, go back and forth to the other set of rules while the courts are figuring it out. So this would give everybody the freedom and the confidence to go ahead and play. Now, I'm still not in favor of this being a free-for-all of this being just keep on transferring however many times you want after every every year if you want. I am definitely not in favor of that. I do not think that. So he he went on to say this is a huge win for the athletes, for the fans, and for the rule of law. Well, I don't really know this guy at all, um, and maybe it's a huge win for the athletes. Uh, I I am absolutely convinced it is. Not, I don't understand how that's a huge win for the fans. I think this is just going to open up the opportunity for players to move every single year i had again i had lunch today with a great friend of mine who is a who in in spite of the fact that he's a dallas cowboy fan that he's misguided in his allegiance to his nfl team he's a spider so i look past that uh, and a spider guy and he said to me today bob uh, as a fan we don't get we don't get to know the players anymore there's no programs. They're not three- and four-year guys. They're here. For, like, he loves Jordan King of the Spiders, and what's there not to love about Jordan? He says, I only, one year, I'm never going to get to know, you know, who he is. And, and he's right about that. So I don't see how this is a win for the fans uh, to give athletes the opportunity to hopscotch from school to school year after year after year without some sort of guardrail in place 
um, to prevent that from happening. Most importantly, for these athletes to actually start to understand, you know, some of the way life works. And sometimes you just got to plow through where you are and try and make it work for longer than just the blink of the eye and the snap of your fingers and try to make it work somewhere with with their with with avenues with exit ramps on those guard guidelines guardrails to to move on if you need like coaching change absolutely first time you do it go for it second time we need to know why you're doing it a second time and it needs to be legit and in and that's subjective too and in my opinion if you appeal a denial of the second time, that's it. Like, that's the Supreme Court. We're not taking this any further. They've been approving some and have not been approving others, and they will give you their reasoning, whoever they is, whoever's on this committee. But it can't go beyond that. You can't keep going back and forth with waiver after waiver and appeal after appeal. So I'm actually okay if this is accurate information and this is what's going to be signed off on. Definitely on point one. No retaliation against players who play during the temporary restraining order. If for some reason after two weeks it reverts back to if you're a multiple-time transfer, you have to sit out a year, and you've just played in two games over the holiday break, you should not lose your year of eligibility for that. It would be hard for anybody to, to argue that. Even, even the teams that don't play their guys for these two weeks for fear of that. I, I think you, the fair thing to do there is is if they're going to play next year, you give them the full year. The second part of that, the TRO, the temporary restraining order, is converted to a preliminary injunction to last until the end of spring sports is also probably a pretty good idea. There's no sense vacillating and going back and forth on on that issue. And, you know, for the time being, you're going to do it one way. And by the time we get to uh, spring sports, we're going to do it another. So if if that's what's happening – and it sounds like it is, that's probably a good thing and will restore at least a little bit of order for this year because at least we have a finite number. We know the number of transfers who are sitting out right now because the NCAA denied their waivers and said as a multi-time transfer, you can't play. And they're going to go ahead and play now and let them play the rest of the year. Now, if they're playing the rest of the year, that is their year of eligibility. Joe Bamasil is the example we keep using. He's going to start playing uh, tomorrow. He plays the rest of the year. That's it. He's done. That's 20-some-odd games. That will be his, his full season, which is what he wants. And he'll be on the court tomorrow for, um, for VCU against Temple. And now can do it with a little bit more of a peace of mind, as can Ryan Odom, that in two weeks the other shoe isn't going to drop and they're not going to have him, and he's going to lose his year of eligibility. There's no way that that could have happened. So I do think, for the most part, this is pretty good for everybody concerned. My worry still is this becomes permanent, and players can just move at the drop of a pin, at the snap of their fingers, and play for four different colleges in five years, and I'm definitely not a fan of that. All right, I am a fan of the weekend, and particularly this sports weekend, with college basketball, with bowl games, with another NFL slate of games, including three games on Saturday. Really looking forward to it. Again, no show on Monday. We have uh, Old Dominion's bowl game in the uh, famous Toastery Bowl down there in Charlotte. Uh, So Matt and I will be out on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday, and we'll wrap all of this up for you on the Tuesday edition of the Sports Huddle at four o'clock of course i got spider basketball would love to see you out there at the robin center tomorrow night we've got that here on 106.1 plus bowl game coverage that starts tomorrow 
as well. Sweet Lou, thank you. Great week. We went all five days this week, so we'll take the weekend to recharge the batteries. A long weekend. Talk to you Tuesday with the next Sports Auto, 4 o'clock, 106.1 ESPN. Three RBA Sports